0: Hello, and welcome to the Hospitality Insights podcast, In Focus. The impact that COVID-19 is having on the hospitality industry is palpable. There is no time more important than right now to come together, share information, and discuss what this means for our future. Join us every week for a fresh episode of conversation, insight, and analysis with contributions from senior people across the industry. We hope you enjoy listening.
1: Hello and welcome to Hospitality Insights in Focus, where we discuss the news and people in hospitality investment, development and operations. I'm Julie ray Content Director of Questex Hospitality and Travel, and I am joined by my colleague Catherine Dogron, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Insights. Hello, Catherine. How are you? Hello, Julie. I'm fantastic. How are you? Good, all, uh, all nice here, um, still staring at uh, our laptops and uh, can't wait to actually uh, enjoy the possibility of a holiday at some point.
0: <laughs> See, when you say all nice here, I'm looking out the window and it's all grey here, um, although I take it, it's not raining, so i how yeah. for that.
1: It's a you know, British summer, I'm used to it now after 20 years. So sorry. <laughs> You get you get a bit of a heat wave when it's uh, Wimbledon time and uh, and then it just crashes down in temperature after that it's, it's early autumn <laughs> yeah so uh, this week we're looking at the African markets with uh, two guests um, you are talking to Rose Bakri who's the chief financial officer at Louvre Hotels Africa and uh, Dr Ahmed Shalabi who's president and CEO of the Egyptian developer tatwe Mesra. now African markets are actually no strangers to managing
0: crises. Um, how have they fared in COVID? Um, well, it's uh, it's not br- brilliant. <laughs> I'll give you that much. It's not it's not brilliant at all. Um, There've been lots of lots of issues all over the places. You can imagine lots of remote locations which um, have had to close their borders. Lots of places which are not re- reopening soon. Um, lots and lots of issues, but. All these lots and lots of issues have not stopped people wanting to develop there. Um, so Louvre signed um, two deals, which they signed over Zoom, um, as we hear from from Rose later. And um, Radisson and Hilton have been um, bolstering their development teams. Everyone is determined to to get out there and make the most of it. Because as ever with Africa, the opportunity is massive. Um, you know, it's fantastic. Uh, you, obviously, you can't sweepingly generalize and say it's, you know, the whole place is, is completely wonderful. But the you know, there are many, 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 many countries. It's extremely diverse. There's something for everyone. Um, I love Africa, you know, different countries notwithstanding, um, and uh, and plenty of people want to travel there. So. It's a good golden time for the operators. Uh it's difficult of course because um development is hard, Zoom so notwithstanding if you Louvre. Um and you do unfortunately quite often need to put some actual cash money into the situation. Um but more uh, and more operators are realising this. So I think we can only see in the long term more enthusiasm for Africa.
1: Absolutely, I, I used to travel to various African countries um, uh, for work about 10-15 years ago, and it was in dire needs of uh, of properties that could uh, manage the business market as mm-hmm. well as leisure, and and some were really kind of beginning to get it right, and that's when Radisson was starting to uh, to get in there. So, what are the the main segments that uh, that are ripe for
0: development? um well of course uh radisson um realized very quickly that they would need a, a fund and they had the Afrinor fund which allowed them to expand and and put, put skin in the game and that really worked out and other kind con- um aqua and hilton have both realized you need to put money in but um as i said the business travel market is huge and of course the leisure market um is massive as well so there's you know plenty plenty to enjoy um you do see quite a lot of budget hotels um coming up um, but we've seen lots of issues with Sun in recent weeks, um, which may present an opportunity for somebody to come in and, and buy and get their footprint in because that's kind of really the only way that you can make any, any inroads in Africa with any, any meaning, as Marriott found out and they had to buy their way in. Um, so maybe that will present an opportunity for, for some enterprising operation. I'm sure there's plenty of people swooping around thinking about it at the moment.
1: And is it um, a, another one of those markets where really you need a, a very strong local knowledge? Do you need a local partner to go in
0: there? Uh, what's what's the best oh, strategy yes. for it? Oh, Goodness me, yes. But that's true. Um, that's true for for most locations. That's true. If you want to develop in Bath, for example, you um, look at the council. That can be can be very tricky, and you have to know them. Um, so, and certainly places like Westminster. Westminster City Council are notorious for needing to know their friends. Um, <laughs> so just fine um so yes it's more of the same um as i said earlier you know you can't sort of make sweeping generalizations like i like africa uh like africa by or some locations I, w- I wouldn't go to obviously and um and for all those reasons it's extremely diverse continent you need to know somebody who knows what they're doing and this is why more often than not people have uh operators have realized they need teams on the ground
1: so Travelodge is in the news again um and I thought it would be quite good to have a little recap about what's going on there because it's quite a saga. Um, So Travelodge did not want to pay rent and then the owners created um, uh, their own action group. So as I understand, it was uh, launched by one of the owners, uh, Oasis Holding, and it's uh, a voluntary group uh, that is quite loosely formed to to represent the owners and make sure they're treated fairly fairly in the proceedings. This is quite an unusual situation, isn't it? How does it work?
0: It, it, it is. Yes, you don't have to be a member of the owners group if you don't want to. Um, so that's perfectly fair. But um, it's like, like Facebook groups, but but angrier, like an angrier <laughs> Facebook group. And um, and one of the reasons that they had to come together is because um, of changes, temporary changes in the law, which means that you can't evict. Tenants. And that's absolutely fair. Nobody wants to see people evicted. Very good. Um, But it also means that if your um, tenant comes up to you and says they don't want to pay their rent anymore for reasons (laughs) reasons <laughs> people are reassessing how valid these reasons are obviously nobody is staying in travel lodges um, they were um some of them are used for key workers but um, it's the same picture as we're seeing across the rest of the hotel sector um, to the extent that premier inn have always made a very big case um, of saying that they are paying their rent in the on the in the different locations where they have to um, so you know and, uh, and they're likely i think probably to pick up sort of 20 to 30 sites um, when this all ends, but obviously, um, strength in numbers, and uh, the Travelodge owners thought that this was slightly unreasonable. That they were completely over a barrel um, as far as Travelodge went. Um, they could pretty much do what they wanted. It felt um, certainly they were. That's what they were complaining. Um, so they all banded together, and um, they and Secure Income Root, um managed to achieve um, the opportunity to to get rid of Travelodge essentially in a little while and this means that they've now started talking to other operators um as far as we can tell all the other operators um are who they're talking to marriott um certainly ihg accor magnuson um there's a service department company who've um, thrown themselves into the ring as well and probably another five or six um that we haven't heard about so who will win um who knows there's lots of different opportunities out there we spoke to tom magnuson at magnuson and he said that a lot of these sites could be upgraded and be more in the mid market. And that's certainly one of the issues that we always see with the Travelodge estate, because this happens every time there's a downturn. They are the canary in the, uh, in the coal mine, um, slightest downturn trading and, and Travelodge starts breaking out and the whole thing gets reorganised. Um, but this time, usually they come out of it, this time it looks extremely likely that we will not be seeing any more of Travelodge in the UK. Um, So end of an era, certainly. Um, They were one of the companies which um, brought many people into the hotel section in the first place, took them off people's sofas um, and put them into hotels. And the trouble with their portfolio has always been that it's quite inconsistent. So certainly if you're an operator looking at this, you're thinking there's some questionable sites here, but there are some fantastic new build sites next to service stations here. What do I want? What could I achieve? And, and, you know, to the winner, the spoils. You're looking at sort of, you know, four or five hundred plus hotels, which you can suddenly slot into your um, into your estate and claim that you are the king of budget in the UK. You know, alongside Premier Inn. So um, so whoever wins all this is uh, is in for quite a treat, but also maybe in for some uh, some investment, because investment is what has been lacking in the portfolio over the years. So all change and goodbye travelodge. Will this finally be the downturn that rids us of travelodge? Yes, it could well be.
1: Yes, and everybody's after the budget segment now. They they so the fight is going to be a tough one.
0: Exactly, because no one has any money. Um, <laughs> so if they go somewhere, they don't want to spend a lot of money. Um, and the and the budget sector is is set up for for this kind of thing. You would think But they needed definitely to pay less rent. Was the feeling at travelodge? Yeah. So who are we to 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 decline that but um but yes small staff um nice lots of easily clean surfaces it's um, travel lodges pandemic to enjoy
1: and uh, but in the uk premiering is very much king of the budget they they have a very strong brand they they quite yep. good consistency across, the, across their property so it's going to be a tough job to take take them on um, and there's been talks as well of uh, needing a bit of innovation within the budget segment, bringing more of a lifestyle feel to it. Um, who would be best at doing this kind of thing? And is is the, the Travelodge um, portfolio right for that? If they're going to be investing in in properties, they might as well make them a bit more special, right?
0: Uh, yes, well, I mean, some some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, it's hugely broad, sweep. We've all stayed in, in you know, I like to call it the, the Travelodge King's Cross, um, but which needs a lot of attention. Um, but um, but also being, um, Premier Inn is, as you rightly said, um, huge in the UK, but they've been going through a, a, an amenity creep, which has pulled them up more closer to the mid-market than the classic budget. Um, but you see um, groups like Easy Hotel coming in, which is... Proper, as we would understand, budget to be a few years back, um, very low rates, uh, basic, clean, accessible. Um, so we expected, fully expected, easy hotel to come in uh, at some point, and then and, and who knows, we may well yet see that. Um, but yeah, so um, Whitbread have been launching uh, Whitbread is it Zip Zip by Plummer, in something on. I want to call it like an industrial site in in Cardiff well be the case um, <laughs> they're going back to super budget routes and offering you know i think they were saying it's sort of uh, for long distance lorry drivers this would be the product for that so there is what was what was classic budget 10 years ago now as you say has been segmented out into many many different operate offerings and potentially could be budget apart hotels or something higher up you would have to take the the um if you look across the travelers portfolio there's something there for everyone who could possibly want to be involved in it so it's possible that one of the big operators would take it and then chop it amongst its different brands rather than just one brand coming in and taking them all who knows at this point but um but with such a disparate portfolio you do have all these opportunities but certainly somebody is going to have to reach their hands into their pockets for some of the sites um and possibly they would drop out of the hotel sector altogether
1: Okay, so uh, what's uh, what's the timeline there? At, at what point do you expect to uh, to have some news about who's uh, who's finding their way to the Travelodge portfolio? Ooh,
0: um, in the next few weeks. It's, it's pretty soon then. Yes, yes, everyone wants to get this done.
2: Mm. Um,
0: certainly, the the agreements on who the operators will be. I think they can't quite kick Travelodge out just yet. But, um, but certainly expect to see some um, some time, and and um, you know it's a great time for the for the restaurant sector and um, to have reopened in the UK because I'm sure there's plenty of people being taken out for dinners out um, by eager operators at this point. So we should see a, a boost p- possibly in GDP at um, the rate this is going. So it's good news for everyone.
1: That's great. So uh, on this cheery note, then. Uh, Thank you very much, Catherine. Um, have a great week, and uh, see you soon
0: for another In Focus. You too. Always a delight. Um, so, welcome to this week's In Focus. And joining me today is Rose Bakri, CFO at Louvre Hotels um, Africa. Hello, Rose. How are you?
3: I'm uh, fine, thank you. How are you doing? Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: And um, you were telling me all about how, just now, about how you're sort of traveling around France and the roads are very busy, which is a brilliant sign for the sector. I assume everyone's going places on holiday. Um, How are you finding the big reopening? Uh,
3: The reopening of our hotels. In fact, what I will be able to talk about is mainly in Africa and uh, East and Western Africa, the countries that I'm in charge of for for Golden Tulip, uh, Africa Francophone, and East Africa. So the fact is the reopening, we cannot talk about reopening so far in Africa. It's not happening yet. What we are observing in cities like uh, uh, Addis Ababa or Nairobi are more uh, related still to these uh, quarantine guests or uh, because most of the airports are not open yet so uh, as such we cannot talk about reopening if your meaning is that this is slow uh, reopening that we are observing in Europe or even in France which is uh, apparently the case uh, as I observed this weekend absolutely Uh, So it's more uh, so far we are much more um, in Africa working on uh, quarantine guests and uh, transit traffic, uh, transit passengers, Mm. uh, which is a bit uh, limited in terms of activity.
0: Yeah. Do you know when you're likely to be able to prepare for reopening?
3: Oh, well, we are ready to reopen. In fact, we only closed our hotels in Zanzibar, and Zanzibar now decided to open back to customers uh, starting uh, this month. So, and we are ready to welcome guests back. Um, in fact, what we did for uh, for Zanzibari's hotel is that it, since it was anyhow the low season for them, we decided to limit the uh, damage and close the hotels for the couple of uh, we closed for eight weeks. And now we are ready to welcome uh, customers back. Still, uh, communication, travel for leisure hasn't happened yet in yeah. in in Zanzibar, at least. Uh, we uh, we we are ready <laughs> as soon as customers get in. Now, when when the business travelers or the leisure travelers will be ready to to commute and to um, resume back to what they would have done if they, all this didn't happen, this is the big question.
0: Yeah, when do you think you'll see a return to that? Assuming all things remain equal with the pandemic.
3: Of, in fact, uh, if, the, if there's a situation remain like this with an, um, and not having any visibility on uh, the capacity or not to have a vaccine, the capacity or not to do testings and the capacity or not to have a, a medicines in Africa, I think international travelers will remain uh, uh, more on the reserve side and not uh, willing to travel so soon. Uh, for us, we are working like many of other hoteliers in the uh, in this uh, in the industry is like we are working on what we call the BBZ, the budget base zero, and we are trying to figure it out uh, in a three months uh, frame uh, timeline. And uh, when we look at uh, at it in this perspective, uh, considering what is our uh, natural seasonality factor. Um, we are crossing fingers to have something like uh, maybe a 50% of what we've seen in uh, 2019 uh, being back to 50% of that activity somehow in April and May 2021 and not before. Uh, this is like our... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say worst case scenario because <laughs> it's like the most optimistic scenario. And this is what we are discussing with our investors uh, in terms of uh, having enough cash to stand till then. And uh, this is also what we are uh, discussing with our teams in terms of how we can uh, still be ready to go quicker in case uh, the business resume earlier. Uh, absolutely, we need to be much more uh, flexible and dynamic. Mm. Uh, are you able to access government support at all? In fact, government support in African countries it's very valuable. You have, like, we are covering countries going from Benin on, on the on the west coast till uh, Zanzibar on the east coast. So, and decisions, and capacities, and willingness to assist uh, hotels that are affiliated to international chains is very. Uh, variable, so we cannot talk about a specific or like a constant policy uh, from coming from government support. Mm-hmm. Um, what we are observing is all across uh, those countries is the uh, willingness of government to delay collection of whatever dues that are for government. Uh, was it uh, statutory obligations or or taxes? Or uh, we've observed some assistance in, like, or some uh, specific support in Kenya mm. uh, related to the loans that we have with private banks. And the government here are giving precise and clear instructions to the bank sector for loans that are uh, endorsed with the uh, hoteliers. So, this is here, yes, we are seeing, but it's still a bit uh, what I call it. Uh, uh, up to the level at the capacity, and I think those governments are facing much more uh, um, uh, new and important challenges with the uh, necessity of the of the people or of the. Uh, then, then only the hospitality sector, which may come like, maybe in their priority list, in number five <laughs> or six, and not number one.
0: <laughs> Shocking! I'm shocked. <laughs> um, so, um, given the the mixed nature of support, which of course is is completely acceptable, we've seen in recent weeks uh, Hilton and Radisson expanding there or changing their development teams. Has any of this has affected how you're expanding, or is it still full steam ahead? Oh.
3: So far, no. In fact, what I would like to talk about is that, that uh, on the operation aspect for hotels that are already open, uh, we are seeing this uh, impact of the uh, of the crisis on our activity, but we haven't observed any uh, serious decline on the new project in terms of development And we have even uh, experienced something that we would have thought impossible uh, six months ahead, which is securing deals. We secured two deals only uh, by having a connection with investors who were ready and have matured, etc. only via Zoom or uh, Microsoft Teams meeting. And uh, projects that we would have sold six months ago, ago, we wouldn't be able to secure if we don't go three or four times to Dakar or if we don't go three or four times to Abidjan. Those deals... With the new contacts, have been able to be secured in this in this situation, and this is a very very big surprise for us. It is uh, how uh, we, we we succeeded to do this. Uh, So, in terms of uh, reduction of teams in in development, uh, anyhow, our uh, development team is not that thick. (laughs) So, (laughs) we didn't do any uh, downsizing in terms of team. Um, Obviously, uh, the travel uh, was banned for all of us, so there was no travel, but we still had two deals secured uh, during the pandemic, new deals, greenfield (laughs) ones.
0: Wow! So, so um,
3: congratulations,
0: obviously. But um, <laughs> why, why do you think it's um, why do you think it went through so quickly? Why why is it? What's the why is everyone going to the hotel sector?
3: I think investors who were already considering the hospitality sector and have uh, g- gone through the process of uh, the uh, the go or no go with the hospitality sector, and those who are still. Uh, committed to it and still believe in the hospitality sector have some maturity level in terms of the long-term outcome of the sector. And if all the components of their investments were already uh, uh, secured or already specified, uh, selecting the operator, they took the time to do it. Like Mm -hmm. they took the time to interview us, to interview other operators. They took the time to go through our uh, tools, through our processes, and they had the capacity to focus only on we need to select the operator because we cannot do anything else in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And here where I think uh, it is just the fact that this time frame was, um, uh, what we call it, adequate for Whatever homework that requires benchmarking and not necessarily being on the ground or uh, traveling for for the Mm -hmm. investors. So Um, that's why I think. And um, which segments are you looking to expand
0: into, particularly just all of them or or anywhere that you're particularly focusing on at the moment?
3: Yeah, if you look at Louvre Hotel's brand portfolio, it is mainly a business segment and upscale and mid scale. So we haven't revised this strategy yet. Uh, Like uh, for us in our portfolio, except for the Zanzibari's hotel, which are uh, specifically leisure, uh, all our hotels are more business, city center, um, in big capitals. So we are still uh, in this strategy to remain stick to the capitals in Africa, to stick to the Silk Road uh, cities. This is haven't changed, we didn't revise this. And I think uh, even the present uh, situation, the present crisis uh, comfort us and the fact that being in cities and being in big hubs uh, uh, is, is appropriate uh, for in, in cases of crisis like this uh, because of uh, whatever logistics, proximity to hospitals and infrastructure, etc. So we yeah. are still in that, in that uh, scope now in terms of design maybe and in terms of um uh in design uh when we we, we are having a project uh, with a big landscape and we are reconsidering having the big tour of uh, 17 floors mm. and maybe to go back to the uh, um, uh, more spread Lesser floors, because we don't know if people will be always happy to be stuck in an elevator. <laughs> Maybe they would like to come with their car uh, just to their room. Uh, mm. So those, this pandemic now, or the situation, this uh, health crisis, are now opening our eyes to the fact that we may need to reconsider the, uh, the design of a hotel. Should, should we stick with the big door and the rooftop? Uh, or maybe we need to consider more uh, flat and capacity to come with a car to the door of the room and go in without crossing any other. So those things, but this is more uh, for the brainstormings, and nothing concrete yet in that aspect.
0: No, is that something that it, you're just discussing it in the within the company? It's not something that investors or customers are asking for yet.
3: Not yet. This is the things we are discussing with the investors for new projects that are greenfield. Like we are challenging the, uh, the uh, scenarios of having high tours uh, mm. and saying, why not considering alternatives in having other uh, design, uh, property design like what we, what we call at Club Hotel, the old company motel way. Of mm. having your car parked in front of your room which we thought it is outdated today <laughs> it may represent an interesting alternative for people who are afraid of going to hotels because they are crossing people in elevators or whatever even mm. if we have the processes and the know-how to uh, control and monitor whatever situations are on those hotels
2: yeah
0: and um just finally, it seems that, you know, we're all very focused on, on health and cleanliness and being able to get to your room without seeing anyone else. Um, how do you think that we'll be able to address, address putting the fun and the service back into hotels when we stay in it? Because I think that we've all been very much dep- I know I have very much deprived of fun <laughs> in the last few months.
3: Yeah, in fact, uh, the credo, the motto of Golden Trip, it was uh, for two years now: play time, anytime. And uh, even when we are considering uh, the new uh, environment and the new rules and the new SOPs that consist of having hygiene and safety rules uh, much more uh, observed in a very strict way. We are not forgetting this uh, playtime, anytime, uh, motto that we are proposing with the golden tulip. And then we are trying to put some uh, easiness on the fact of how we should uh, approach it to the customer more in a a less uh, anxious and uh, anguishing environment. And it's a very uh, subtle uh, equilibrium that we have, a balance that we have to find in terms of operation, because we would like our employees to take it very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, the edge of taking it very seriously and uh, uh, still inspiring uh, like a, a funny uh, environment or like a not very uh, anxiolytic environment to the, uh, to the guest is a, is a very subtle exercise. Uh, so um, yeah, we are working on it. We are working on SOPs. We are working on our mask or our face masks are like made with uh, uh, African fabrics.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, we have to uh, stick to some uh, of those, uh, what you call this is a playful uh, attitude that we want to uh, have. Uh, welcome our guest with uh, and keep it uh, present uh, in the mind of employee but this is i cannot say it's an easy challenge this is very uh, because themselves employees uh, may feel uh, you know somehow concerned or exposed and you we have also first to reassure them before bringing them to that level of comfort and self confidence and then the ability to Breeze and then go ahead uh, and uh, be the uh, joy provider or like the calm element to the guest. But we are going there. Uh, in most of our hotels, we are stick to some, what we call the skeleton teams because of the uh, uh, low activity. And in the skeleton team, we make sure that those who are around are the most professional, the most mature people, and who are uh, in fact able to cope with those
0: situations Yep. Yeah. well <laughs> we're all feeling our way um but i'm very deeply comforted that you're feeling your way towards playtime.
3: uh <laughs> <just> <laughs> yeah
0: reassuring yeah, you we
3: have to we have to
0: do <laughs> it's just not fun it's not fun but it's good to hear that it's going to be more fun um fantastic
3: right uh, so
0: Welcome to this week's In Focus with Dr. Shalawi and live from Cairo. How are things in Cairo? How is tourism in Egypt?
2: Uh, first, thank you for hosting me today. Uh, I'm happy to be with you and I'm happy to talk about the tourism market in Egypt. Uh, actually, Cairo is, uh, is uh, okay. We can say so far, so good. We can't late. Is, uh, is difficult. Again, it's everywhere in the world. The situation this year is difficult and different than the normal that we used to. So uh, in, in, in Egypt, actually, uh, seven fr- uh, flights into and out of Egypt were suspended on March 19th. So that's where we started closing the country. And that was alongside the closure of restaurants, hotels, cafes, resulted in a near shutdown of tourism-related activity. However, in Egypt, the country was not closed completely at any time during the last few months. So we still were able to work uh, and go to work and go to uh, do some necessary shopping but available data showed that international tourist arrival have sharply decreased and this is normal i think in the first quarter of 2020 it was like minus 22% but this is because january and february were, were almost almost the same like 2019 we started the sharp decline in march so in january we have Plus 2% uh, more uh, tourist arrivals in, uh, in Egypt. In February, it's minus 12% decline over February 2019. In March, it's 55 decline. In April, here is the full closure, it's like minus 97%. With different possible scenarios for this year, we are expecting figures. Between 60% and 80%, when compared to 2019, based on the base of easing travel restrictions, and actually our Minister of Tourism and Antiquities, Mr. Khaled Anani, uh, he is expecting that we are losing around one billion US dollars every month due to travel restrictions in and out of the country. So it's, it's, it's a difficult situation for the tourism industry. And most of the, of the major touristic destinations in Egypt, like Hergada, Sharm sheik uh, Alexandria, Cairo, they are witnessing minus 50% year-over-year occupancy rate so far, which is difficult for the industry. Uh, I think uh, starting mid-May, we started to see domestic tourism allowed again. So from mid-March to mid-May, everything was just closed. But mid-May, we have domestic tourism allowed again in certain regions and under strict conditions with local tourists allowed to stay at hotels with valid certification, and this is important And the cap occupancy rate was 25% in May. In June, it was raised, relaxed a little bit to 50%. At that time in June, we have 155 resorts and hotels that were able to get the certificate to receive local guests. As of July 1st, this number increased to 232 establishments that were open in the 13 governorates. Which have been approved to, re- to receive uh, tourists. And for sure, site visits uh, like uh, Giza Pyramids and all these interesting places, there were restrictions. There were a limitation on numbers 25 people per trip, with a maximum of 200 people allowed inside large museums at one time. So there were several restrictions. But starting July, We have the first flight coming from abroad, from Budapest, by the way. The first flight was from Budapest in July 12th and was uh, arrived to Hurghada at that time. So far, we have 48 flights came to Egypt from Switzerland, Ukraine, Belarus, Hungary, uh, and they landed in Hurghada and Sharm el-Sheikh combined. So that's the situation so far. I think we we are starting to witness a few number of tourists who are interested to come to Egypt, especially on the beach fronts and beach sides. So that's the situation so far, from January to July.
0: Um, how was the lockdown for you? Have you found that there's lots of pent-up demand within Egypt of people who suffered a lot of stress, certainly in the UK everyone is desperate to go on holiday, do you think there'll be lots of compensation domestically?
2: No, I think think, Catherine this is a a real tough question and honestly to answer this question I can say straightforward that domestic uh, tourism will not compensate international uh, tourists. Actually, if, if we talk about Egypt a uh, little bit in general and the Egyptian economy, you see that the main three sources or major sources of foreign currency to Egypt are tourism, uh, Suez Canal, and remittances from Egyptians working abroad. And unfortunately, the three sources are badly hit in the first half of, of this year. And if the crisis persists for three to six months, the cumulative less from these three uh, sources alone could amount to between 2.1% to 4.8% of GDP in 2020. Tourism sector alone, tourism sector is indirectly accounting for 9.7% of all employment and contributing 9.3% of GDP in 2019. So this sector is really important to the country. And then to the generation of foreign income for Egypt, I don't think that domestic will compensate that, especially that the nature of the local traveler is completely different. For example, high end hotels like Four Seasons, for example, they used to receive uh, people from Europe and from the Gulf countries. Local demand will not cover that because this is not part of the destinations where local travelers are going. Again, archaeological sites, it is not interesting. Most of the locals have already visited these uh, sites. Uh, Seasonality, you know, in Egypt, uh, Egyptian cities vary according to seasons, like Red Sea destinations, Hergada, uh, Sharm el-Sheikh, and so on. Upper Egypt, Luxor, and Aswan are popular during winter due to the warm climate. Uh, This means Egyptians are more likely to return to these destinations in September to March, where in the summer, Egyptians used to to go to the north coast. So Egypt has diverse locations catering to different tourism purposes, and domestic travel may support areas like the north coast right now in the summer, but it it will not help cities across the Red Sea. Therefore, cities who are used to receive more international tourists like Irgada and Sharm el-Sheikh will suffer at this period. So I think we will have a problem in Hergada, Sharm el-Sheikh, Luxor, Aswan, and high-end offering in Cairo. That will not be compensated by local demand.
0: Okay. Will it be compensated by the government? What sort of support are you seeing?
2: Yeah, the government did very well, actually. Actually, I, I, I think the, the Egyptian government managed to deal with the crisis in, in, a, in a reasonable and balanced uh, way of uh, arrangements for the different sectors of the economy. For the tourism, especially, first, the government was to bond the payments of all dues on tourism and hotel establishments and declared exempted all bazaars and cafeterias located in archaeological sites from paying rent until tourism get back. The Central Bank of Egypt, which is really important, they administers 50 billion Egyptian pounds, which is almost 3 billion U.S. dollars, as a tourism support initiative. So part of this loan is dedicated to paying maintenance costs and salaries because the government was trying to protect the employees during this difficult time. So they provided low-interest loans to tourism facilities to cover maintenance costs and salaries. Part of this initiative, the banks can grant credit facilities with a maximum of two-year payment period, in addition to six-month grace period. And the interest rates, originally soft loans for tourism, stood at 8%. To support the industry at this period, they have been cut to five percent. And the rest of the of the 50 billion Egyptian pounds were reserved for renovation. So that's during the, the lockdown of the sector. Then after the operation started, the government tried to put a clear guidelines to all staff working on tourism, and they put measures and they put a way of certification to guarantee that the opening hotels and resorts are safe, according to the WHO guidelines. So each reopened hotel must have all its staff tested. They must install disinfection equipment. They regularly screen customer temperatures. All guests must uh, be registered online, and the small section of the room within the hotel premises must be designated as a quarantine area for positive or suspected COVID-19 cases. The government also tried to support uh, aviation companies, so they did a discount by 10 cents per gallon for the fuel for the aviation, and airlines uh, received 50% landing and boarding fee discount, 20% ground services discount, so a package of Discounts and services were provided by the, by the government. In addition to that, they tried to encourage and attract tourists by offering uh, new promotion travel to Upper Egypt during summer months, like discounts on entry fees to archaeological sites in Luxor, Aswan, reduction of visa fees. Uh, tourist visas will not be required for people uh, visiting the coastal govern- government region. So different elements that were done by the government, whether during lockdown or after the opening of the sector, just trying to help the industry flourish again.
0: Right. Uh, as a real estate developer, how can you contribute to supporting the Egyptian tourist sector?
2: Oh, that's uh, that's an important question uh, for us actually because uh, we are we are really active in in the overall real estate development in the country and we see that with the climate of investments improving in Egypt, we as a private sector uh, we have a great responsibility to attract foreign direct investments to Egypt. So as a developer we are specialized in building large mixed-use communities and developments and we develop sustainable and smart cities that need global standards and appeal to different types of tourism. And I'll come to your point, but I'm trying to provide a little bit of background. So as a developer in all our communities, right now we are developing three large communities. Actually, two of them are beachfronts. So we are developing Fuka Bay in the north coast in one million square meter of land along the Mediterranean north coast. We are developing uh, El Monte Galala in Ain al on the Red Sea, uh, over 2.5 million square meters of land. And we are developing blue fields in New Cairo, that's in the suburb of Cairo, over 1.6 million square meters of land. In all these developments, we are developing a smart, sustainable community. So we are partnering with Schneider Electric, it's a global firm, and Orange Egypt to provide... A smart infrastructure to create the lifestyle that we want to our residents and our clients and to help uh, control the, the maintenance costs. We partnered with Curtain Hospitality and Marlouz uh, and her team to develop uh, eight hotels in two destinations. We are developing four hotels in the North Coast. In Fuca Bay, and we are developing another four hotels in the Red Sea and El Monte Galala. And these hotels will capture the new trends on tourism. We are developing in Fuca Bay two House Hotel and two Cloud Seven hotels, which are the brands of Curtin Hospitality. In El Monte Galala, we are developing two House Hotels and two uh, Cloud Seven. On these hotels, we are building on the new trends on hospitality on the technology on the different concepts of hospitality. And we are developing more than 1,500 hotel keys along with service apartments. And I think this is a great value added to the tourism industry and to the hospitality industry in Egypt. In our last development in Bloomfield, we are uh, building a community around educational part. And in this educational part, we will focus on entrepreneurship And we will have uh, uh, some of the institutions devoted to tourism education. Because we believe this is one of the things that that are really missed in Egypt. We need to have better quality of tourism education in Egypt in order to improve the overall industry. Okay.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Great. Thank you
2: so much. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you to our hosts and contributors for creating this week's episode. Plenty to consider, absorb, and reflect on. If your appetite for knowledge remains unquenched, visit our website, hospitalityinsights.com, for more content with purpose and tune in next week for another new episode of In Focus.